The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, everybody, welcome to Take Off with John Clark. And we've got a special guest, of course, with Philly Roots. And I will say sorry about your Knicks, Stephen A. Smith. Welcome in. What's going on, John? Long time, man. How you been? I know this is like old times. You used to come on our NBC 10 Sports final show. So let me just put it out there. Who do you have in this series, Sixers or Hawks? I have Sixers and seven. Uh, But I say that with some degree of trepidation. Sixers going to have to reclaim home court advantage in game three or four. They can't come back to Philadelphia down 3-1. They won't beat Atlanta three straight. Uh, if they lose both of these games, they lose the series. Just like had they lost last night and going down 0-2, they would have lost this series. But they showed up, and B was big time. Shake Milton came off the bench. Big time performance by Shake Milton in that second half. That's what they're going to need as this series progresses because Atlanta's going to make some of those shots that they missed. And B, he might get 40 every night, but you can't rely on Shake Milton to do that every night. I think that the – and you can't expect Ben Simmons to play – so much spend so much time defending Trey Young because Trey Young might figure out how to get him in foul trouble the way he figures out how to get everybody else in foul trouble. So all of those things you take into consideration and reach the conclusion that the Sixers should win this series. Um, but Atlanta is a team to be reckoned with because they have better shooters and they have a better bench thus far. We'll see what happens. So if you look back at game one, if Doc Rivers had put Ben Simmons on Trey Young to start with and if Doc didn't go with that all-bench lineup, could the Sixers have won game one? You could say that, but in the end, you did turn the ball over nine times in the first quarter. You did get out. You did, you did, you know, get, get out to a 29-point deficit. And so when you look at it from that perspective, that was more about the Sixers' offense more so than their defense. I know Atlanta was hitting shots, but the Sixers were turning the ball over, giving them ample opportunity to make those shots. And more importantly, the Sixers weren't hitting their shots from the perimeter. Remember, long shots lead to long rebounds. Long rebounds look, you know, leads to teams being able to push the ball up the court and get open shots for themselves, particularly on the perimeter. Because when you're just hustling back, you're hustling back in the paint, not to really go out and get perimeter shooters. And Atlanta ain't looking to go into the paint unless they're throwing an alley-oop. They have no problem standing outside and shooting the J. That's where the Sixers messed up in game one. They did not do that in game two. That's why they won. How about Joel Embiid? I mean, you started in Philly at the Inquirer, I believe, in 1994. So... You saw some great playoff performance from AI, but you're talking about Joel Embiid uh, with a torn meniscus, 39 and 40. Is this a pretty epic performance right now? 
It's big time. I'll give him that. It wasn't epic like some of AI's performances. I watched AI drop over 50 going back and forth against Vince Carter when he dropped 51 game. Vince Carter with another in that Eastern Conference semifinals in 2001, the year they went to the finals. Uh, I watched his performances against Sam Cassell and Ray Allen and big dog Glenn Robinson against Milwaukee. Uh, you know what they did to Orlando, uh, coached by the late great Chuck Daly, God rest his soul. So we saw all of those things going on and we saw some epic performances from AI. But Joe, Joel Embiid is big time, um, and there's no question. He's not Shaq-like. Shaq's game was predicated on power all day, every day. 7'1", 330 pounds, knew he had the power and utilized it to his every advantage. Uh, wasn't interested in anything else. Embiid's got a three-point shot. He's got a mid-range jump. He puts the ball on a hole. He plays with his back to the basket. He'll front you. He'll pull up from three, et cetera, et cetera. So the arsenal is real. It's legit. It's big time. But when we say dominant, Dominant leads to a team literally succumbing to your every whim because they have absolutely positively no answer for you. That's not these Atlanta Hawks. They say you beat us that way, we gonna come beat you this way because threes outnumber twos all day, every day. That means Joel Embiid needs help and the Sixers are gonna have to give it to him. All right, now Tobias Harris, this is his best playoff stretch ever. He's averaging 24 and 10. Seth Curry now really shooting the threes, averaging 24 over his last three playoff games. Do they need more out of Danny Green in this series? Yes, they do. Without question. He's got to hit those open shots that he gets. That'll go a long way because that'll enable them to keep him on the floor and you can utilize some of his defense. Now, he don't need to be defending Trey Young. That's too much to ask for the 33-year-old Danny Green. But nevertheless, he should be on the court if he's hitting those jump shots. Uh, you got to take that into consideration. And then let's call it what it is. Uh, ben Simmons, to me, is a jump shot away from being the second coming of LeBron James. He's that special of a talent. Everything else is there. He's my defensive player of the year. I don't know if he'll win it, but he's my defensive player of the year. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that he can't shoot worth a lick from the perimeter. He doesn't even try. And as a result, you get to collapse or venture out to oppose it to other shooters without having to be concerned about him because he's on a perimeter. I would ask people to harken back to a play earlier this season when the Portland Trailblazers were paying, playing the 76ers and Carmelo Anthony was up defending Ben Simmons near half court. And then he said, what the hell? And turned back and sprinted into the paint and stayed away from him because everyone knows Ben Simmons is not going to shoot from out there. So why even worry about it? Those are the kind of things that Atlanta knows. And that enables Atlanta to take advantage of some situations defensively and help it facilitate the offense. And that's what the Sixers have to be wary of because you need Ben Simmons on the court, no question. But what you don't need is for him not to be any kind of threat whatsoever from the perimeter, which is his problem, which is why this is going to be a tough series for them. Yeah, and he's shooting around 34% from the free throw line. Stephen A., that's in the back of my mind that when you get into a series, if they can advance, maybe play the Nets, that could come back and really haunt you, right? It will. They won't, they won't beat the Nets because of things like that, because of his inability to shoot perimeter shots and for his struggles at the free throw line. Because I don't know if you've noticed, the Nets don't miss free throws. They make free throws. They're one of the best free throw shooting teams in the entire NBA. And we ain't even just talking about Harden, Durant, and Kyrie, who all shoot better than 85% from the free throw line. We're talking about guys like Joe Harris and Landry Shaman and these other guys. They make free throws. And so when you're the Philadelphia 76ers, you're going to need to make perimeter shots. You're going to need to make free throws. Or you're going to have to engage in bully ball. You're going to have to throw it in the low post and then be. You're going to have to utilize Ben Simmons in the post as well to make him make some things happen. But even then, 
How does that equate to you stopping from Brooklyn from scoring? In their sleep, they can put up 120 a night. So I think the Sixers uh, find a way to stave off elimination, win this series with Atlanta. Is It'll be tough. They need to win one of these games, three or four. I think they'll win one of them. I think this is a seven-game series, but I'm not going to pick Atlanta to come back to the Wells Fargo Center and beat the 76ers in a game seven. But the ride ends there. They ain't beating the Brooklyn Nets. I can assure you that. Is anybody beating the Brooklyn Nets, even with James Harden banged up? Well, I think with James Harden banged up, as lethal as Brooklyn is, I think Utah and the Clippers especially can give them a run for their money. Uh, they're both ultra-talented teams who can amp things up defensively, who have stars who can close on this on their squad in Kawhi Leonard and Donovan Mitchell, respectively. So they can definitely give them a run for their money. I don't think anybody can beat them with James Harden on the court, all three of them on the court together. I think either team, however, could beat the Nets if they didn't have KD. The problem is they do have KD. And when they have, when I say they have KD, I'm talking about a healthy KD. A, K, a KD that's averaging 30. This brother is something special. I think that he's the greatest offensive force since Michael Jordan. That's how lethal KD is. He's just unguardable. And the combination of him on the court with Harden or Kyrie, let alone both, is a championship connection. So to me, I don't see Philly being the team to knock that, knock them off that pedestal. Philly, to me, is limited offensively because of Ben Simmons. And if you recall, I said this preseason. Ben Simmons, and I told Doc Rivers to his face when I was interviewing him, Ben Simmons is the reason this team will not win the title this year. I truly believe that. And look, at the trade deadline, it was close, Ben Simmons being traded, and he was informed, and I was told he even cried uh, when he was informed that he could be traded. Obviously didn't go through. The Nets got James Harden. Do you think if the Sixers' run ends early and Ben has these offensive deficiencies, what do you think Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers do? I think you just get Ben Simmons in the gym. I, I'm, I'm going to put this out here. I think it's an issue of work ethic. I really, really do. Um, I'm not calling him lazy. I'm not trying to cast any aspersions on his character. He's a good kid. He, he you know, he, he cares and he goes out there and I think that he's an elite player, but in the off season, you can't tell me he's working on his jump shot. There's no way when you won't even attempt them in the, in, in, during the season, when you won't even attempt them, when you plan for this team, you're clearly not working on it enough. I don't give a damn what you're doing in the off season. That's not enough. Somebody has to get him and focus on him becoming some semblance of a perimeter threat. That's all that's missing. He has everything else. He's got height, he's got size, he's got strength, he's got speed, he's got power, he's got athletic ability, he's got a tenacity on the defensive side of the ball. There is literally not one single other weakness in his game other than his inability to shoot the basketball beyond five feet. That's his problem. He resolves that. The Sixers win the title within the next three years. A championship returns to Philadelphia if Ben Simmons works on that part of his game. Wow, that is a big statement. And I remember Brett Brown publicly saying, I want to see Ben shoot one three a game. I don't care who hears it, his agent, his dad, everybody. Ignore. So they asked him to shoot. Elton Brand said he would shoot more, and he didn't. Do you think Doc is taking a completely different approach and not pushing him on that? Well, where Doc Rivers and I respectfully disagree because I've known Doc for many years and love him and respect him as a Hall of Fame caliber coach. Doc Rivers 
believes that too much of an emphasis is being placed on Ben Simmons' shooting ability. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. And Doc Rivers knows this because he and I have had this conversation. I think he's off his rocker not focusing on that more. That's the one thing he should be focused on with Ben Simmons. There's nothing else to focus on Ben Simmons about. Everything else is there. There's not a single thing about Ben Simmons' game I would change other than adding him more shooting ability. That's it. Everything else is there. And so, you know, Doc Rivers is of the mindset, and he was right to say you don't know basketball if you think that Ben Simmons should be on the bench, because that is true. Ben Simmons does not belong on the bench. That's ridiculous. But Ben Simmons has got to shoot the ball better. And you have to at least pose some kind of threat. Make somebody believe you'll shoot it. That way they have to at least respect you instead of leaving you to go and help defend somebody else because they don't have to worry about you shooting the basketball beyond five feet. You're a hindrance and a liability on the offensive side of the ball for the Philadelphia 76ers. And just use your imagination. If Ben Simmons, your primary ball handler and playmaker, could shoot the basketball, think about what that would do, what that would do for Embiid, what it would do for Danny Green, what it would do for Seth Curry, what it would do for Tobias Harris. Think about what it would do for those guys. If Ben Simmons, you had to literally respect him and his jump shot, you couldn't key on those other guys the way you want to. And it's lights out. Sixers win the title. Yeah. Joel Embiid even tried to push him as well, but he's got some sort of mental block. So you said Ben Simmons is your defensive player of the year. Obviously, Jokic won MVP. What did you what did Joel need to do, in your opinion, to win MVP? How many games did he have to play? I just think that he didn't need to miss about 18 games. If Joel Embiid had been healthy, um, it would have been a two-horse race between him. But then again, you could say the same thing about Harden because Harden was right in the running for league MVP honors before he went down. So we can't it just, you know, it, injury availability is a part of it. Jokic not missing a game is bad enough. You're the number one option. You're the focal point of the offense. You basically run the offense from the center position. We haven't seen that before. Uh, the guy can pass. He can shoot. He can handle. Uh, I mean, the dude is unreal. But so was Joel Embiid before he hurt his knee earlier this season. And Joel Embiid, it's just an issue with him about health. Everything else is there. He defends. He blocks shots. He's got a lot of heart. He's not scared. He doesn't shrink in big moments. Uh, Doc Rivers got him to stop shooting so many jump shots and take that big backside down low in the post and make them feel his presence. All of those things are true. And I don't think there's much missing from Joel Embiid other than a great strength and conditioning coach to make sure he can over, you know, he can avoid injuries. He's shown he can overcome it though, because look, he's got a slight meniscus tear and he's been back in two games and he's averaging 39 and a half points. So he's the real deal. Ben Simmons has to help him. Danny Green has to help him. And that bench can't get outscored 32 to nothing in the first half. All right, Joel Embiid, you know him. You've seen him over the years. Silly sometimes, playful, always having fun. But I see that serious face this year. How much has he changed in that, in that way of wanting to be the best and wanting to be a champion? Changed a lot. And he and I have spoken about it. And I will tell you that the big thing with him was that losing to Toronto, you know, he brings up getting swept and all of that stuff. That's not really it last year. They didn't have a good enough team. Brett Brown, God bless him, wasn't the answer. And Ben Simmons was hurt. They knew. So that wasn't the big deal. The big deal, what changed the trajectory of Joel Embiid's career 
was losing to Toronto in that fashion with Kawhi Leonard hitting that shot two years ago with him walking into the tunnel and crying. That was the first time we saw evidence. And I think Joel Embiid truly realized this ain't just a game. It's a game, but it ain't just a game. This is your business. This is your livelihood. You got a passion for this. And that really broke his heart to lose in that fashion and to experience that pain. He doesn't ever want to go through something like that again. And I think because of it, from that moment forward, he's elevated himself. Now, the team wasn't elevated last year because it was their first year without Jimmy Butler. You know, you're wondering about Brett Brown's future. There was a lot of stuff going on last year. All right. But now that Doc Rivers is here, Daryl Morey is here, Elton Brand is still here, and you've got the personnel. Joel Embiid wants to do everything that he can to make sure it doesn't go down like that anymore. If you're going to lose, you're going to lose to somebody who's clearly better. You don't want to find yourself saying we should have because they should have beaten Toronto, but they didn't. If you lose to Brooklyn, it's going to be because Brooklyn is better, not because you could have done something that you didn't do. He's never going to let that happen to him again. That's what you're seeing in Joel Embiid right now. And what you're seeing from Tobias Harris right now, did the Sixers wind up making the right move, signing Tobias Harris, keeping him, and Jimmy Butler leaving? It looks that way, but the biggest reason is Doc Rivers. The two best seasons in Tobias Harris's career is playing for Doc Rivers. First with the Los Angeles Clippers and now with the Philadelphia 76ers. It's not an accident. Doc Rivers knows how to utilize him, knows how to put him, not knows how to put him in his best spots to win. And Tobias Harris is a damn good player. Um, he can shoot, he can handle, he can get to the rack, he's strong, he finishes at the basket. Uh, he's a bona fide second option. Uh, my only issue with him is I don't want to see another game where you just taking 13 shots. You're Tobias Harris. And with Ben Simmons' inability to shoot, that puts more of an onus on Tobias Harris to shoot. So Ben, so Joel Embiid has the help offensively that he needs in order to offset what Ben Simmons is not giving you from the perimeter. Tobias Harris has to do that. So 13 shots a game ain't cutting it. Tobias Harris should be shooting a minimum of 20 shots a game. Hey, straighten me out about the NBA referees because you see those calls on Matisse Thibel defending Trey Young. There was one game one, another in game two. You saw Joel Embiid get some fouls, and you hear the chants at the Wells Fargo Center, refs, you suck. Is the refereeing worse now, or has it always been this way? It's bad, but it's not entirely their fault. The league is on them to call the game differently than they're accustomed to calling it. And as a result, you know, you can you can put in new rules changes and try to invoke wholesale changes, but there's still human beings that are officiating these games and every one of them is different. So what one sees, another might not see. One might have 2020 vision, another might have 2015. You just don't know. And all of those things you take into consideration and you just have to suck it up. It's not that bad officiating, when you say it, it's not because of bad calls because bad calls exist every game, just like good calls exist every game. What makes officiating incredibly excruciating, incredibly excruciating is the inconsistencies. Uh, you can call one play and it's a foul and then the next play it happens and you don't call anything or vice versa. There has to be uniformity, a level of consistency because then professionals know how to adapt to that, not just the players, but the coaches. That's what we're not seeing right now and that's what has to be fixed.
And Stephen A., I know you're the hardest working man in sports broadcasting. You took some time with the American Cancer Society. Pat Croce was involved. Tell us about this HEAL program and what it's doing for everybody with active and healthy lifestyles. Listen, um, Pat Croce is just trying to bring attention to cancer awareness and what have you. And obviously, we all know that he's publicized his battles with cancer. We know that I lost my mother to cancer in 2017. Um, it's, in, it's incredibly important to us uh, to elevate awareness as to the plight of this battle and what needs to be done in order for us all as a society, as a world, to overcome it. And that's the kind of stuff that we were talking about myself along with Pat Croce um, and you know the American Cancer Society and the great work that they've been doing. We just all need to band together and do what we can uh, to help win this fight uh, because we all have been associated with someone uh, who's lost their battle. And as a result of them losing it, we've lost it because we've lost them. And so as a result of that, just doing anything that we can to bring awareness to these kind of issues is something that we should all tackle and we should do so proudly and with a level of fervency that's necessary um, in order to, to make sure we conquer the things that we need to conquer as it pertains to the battle against cancer. That is a great message and I can tell it's personal with you and the passion you have for it. So we really appreciate the time you've taken and and keep up the great work. You're a hustler and you have made it big time. We remember you in Philly and we're glad you still kind of remember Phil. I will always remember Philly. Philly's a second home to me. Love all you guys. That's always going to be a second home for me. I love Philadelphia and I'm always here. Thanks to you. Thank you for having me.